0: Slash James, netsuite.com slash James.
1: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show.
0: remember like 20 years ago, David Bowie took his catalog and he, he borrowed, I think it was about $700 million, you know, and it was going to be the interest rate that the lenders would get would be based on how well those albums did over the next 10, 20 years. And people who invested in those, they're now across the industry called Bowie bonds. And Mm -hmm. his was the first one. They made a significant amount of money, like more than definitely more than interest rate returns were returning then and and probably more than stock market returns. But people like you and me couldn't get Bowie bonds. Like you had to call a bond broker who knew about those bonds, who could then get access to them. And there was no market to trade them. Like you wouldn't be able to buy them after they initially sold. And that's almost like a a relic. Like that's an antique way of thinking. Like technology is already here where if, if someone like David Bowie wanted to do this now, he could tokenize in the same way. And now anybody could buy them at any point. And there'd be a market to trade them, it'd be Uniswap or SushiSwap or PancakeSwap or whatever. But the one thing I always think is, and this is again like the early days of not only the internet, but anything, it's hard to do this. Like, like the average person is not gonna suddenly say, oh, I'm gonna sell Exxon on the New York Stock Exchange through my Fidelity account, and I'm gonna buy some weird altcoin on SushiSwap. And I'm going to figure out my MetaMask wallet and what I should do with my private key. I'm going to have a seed phrase for my private key. And then maybe I'm going to get a safety deposit box for my cold storage wallet. Like It's too
2: complicated right now for the average person. The frictions are very high. Um, And one of the nice things that's coming out of the FTX debacle is because Many institutions had kept their assets on FTX. Some of them were basically using it for custody or storage. And on the one hand, it's easy to criticize them. Say, hey, the whole appeal of crypto is this idea of self-custody. right? Unlike the stocks that are in your brokerage account, you could have custody your own coins and your own kind of cold storage or something or your wallet. You chose not to. Um, and probably a lot more people will going forward in general than before. However... I think one of the reasons crypto VCs and other kinds of crypto savvy people decided to keep assets on an exchange is for all the reasons that you said. Um, the frictions of self-custody are extremely high. And I think there are two paths forward from here, and they're both going to happen. One is that the industry is doubling down on ways to make key management and self-custody a lot easier. Um, with ideas like there's there's something called account abstraction, Um, or even um, a simpler one that the audience could relate to, social backups. As you alluded to right now, if you self-custody, you initialize a wallet, you have a seed phrase, that really represents the right to own those assets, and you have to go back it up somewhere. You can't just have it on like one computer or device because that could crash, it could get stolen. With social backups, the idea is when you create a new wallet, you will no longer have to do the seed phrase, put in a safe deposit box, you just appoint 5 people as your family or your group or whatever you want to call it and then the technology will enable that if something goes wrong with your assets like you lose your wallet then you'll just be able to request them to confirm that you're you and not some kind of a hacker or fisher and then you will be given control of your assets again uh, maybe if like 3 out of the 5 you know click something inside their wallet and in its early days the final products will probably be Um, more streamlined than that. So I think that's one path forward, just better, easier ways for everyone from individuals to large institutions to self-custody, their assets. But the second thing is I think we're always going to need um, centralized participants in the ecosystem, like exchanges, like wallet providers, like brokerages. Um, If nothing else, we're decades away from the point where everything is tokenized and everything is on-chain, so we're going to need institutions to serve as the bridge. And that is one reason, one of the main reasons people use exchanges like FTX. is like, hey, I have dollars in my bank account. I understand once I own the crypto that I can use DeFi and store the coins myself, but how do I get there? Well, I have to deposit my dollars at an exchange, and exchange, exchanges are bridges between the traditional financial system and the blockchain. So uh, the second parallel development is going to be how do we get better exchanges and custodians? Um, Better in terms of more responsible and then better in terms of more regulated. Um, However, and this is the, the kind of a dangerous inflection point for crypto, more regulated does not mean let's take the existing regulations that were written for the New York Stock Exchange 75 years ago and force Coinbase to follow them as well. And there are definitely people in government, like the current head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, who would like to see that happen. But that to me is a little bit like saying, hey, we have this new thing called YouTube. It has channels. In the old days, if you wanted to start a TV channel, you had to go get an FCC license. So let's let's have every person that wants to have their own YouTube channel go apply for a federal license from the US government. It just sounds obnoxious and ridiculous. So if we're lucky, um, we'll get smart regulations that take into account the fact that the world has changed in the last 70 years. And that also there are features of blockchain and crypto technology that in some ways actually makes it easier to regulate exchanges.
0: Yeah, so when do you think that will happen? I mean, I think it'll probably have, on the one hand, I think it will happen faster because of this FDX thing. On the other hand, the people who were starting to introduce legislation in Congress and the Senate were backed by Sam (laughs) Backman-Fried in their latest elections.
2: So they might be a little more nervous now. Some of them, although the the interesting thing was that just like several weeks ago, Sam Backman-Fried Floated the regulatory model that him and his money were trying to ram through Congress. And it was not good. It was more along the lines of um, let's take the old regulations and throw them at the new tech. Like one of the ridiculous proposals was that any website that lets people interact with DeFi should have to go get a broker dealer license. Like that's just oh an absurd claim. But it would have benefited his exchange because they already had the licenses and it would have hurt DeFi. Um, I would like to think that this is a moment for government officials to get together and be like, okay, the world now agrees crypto needs to be regulated. What are the smart regulations that we can come up with that doesn't strangle innovation and embraces the unique things of the technology and the unique benefits? I hope that happens. Unfortunately, there's always the risk that the opposite happens and that this leads to draconian regulations, at least here in the U.S., that really just don't help anybody except the incumbents that would like to see this crypto thing go away so what what do you think based on all the people you talk to what do
0: you think will happen next like it's and obviously we all want to see crypto go up I think FTX put put things a little bit on pause it might be a day a month a year we don't know it could be I think it's just as likely to be a day as it is to be a month as to be a year we just don't know And But what do you think is next? What could be a catalyst, a real catalyst that could end this one-year-long crypto winter and move things
2: significantly upwards again? If we get the positive kind of regulation, I think that would really be a boost to the industry. Um, Because I imagine, regardless of FTX, there's a lot of People and capital that's been waiting on the sidelines to see which direction this regulatory thing breaks in, right? The internet is famous for the fact that the US government decided early on to just kind of let it be and and took this um, first do no harm kind of approach. So, and there are still people to this day in the US government apparatus that advocate for that approach. If we get that, I think that's going to be a positive catalyst. Um, I think data that shows actual adoption of the kind I talked to earlier, um, that would be a big thing. And it it means different things for different protocols or projects. So for Bitcoin, a couple of things percolating on the mining side that are interesting, like also lost in the FTX news, is that Exxon and Shell are increasingly taking a look at Bitcoin mining as something that they could get involved with. Um, the, there are people like me who actually think in the long run energy companies will be the only crypto miners they get electricity for free by doing uh like let 's say carbon capture on on their drilling yeah and, and even if you want to like build out a new solar or wind farm it actually if you um install mining alongside it, you have a way to monetize when you have excess energy production like it 's really sunny out, but they 're not There's not demand for air conditioning because it's winter or something. Uh, And that will make you willing to spend more money into it. So I think announcements like that, where we see these large established companies um, get involved in a way that really ultimately, like they wouldn't do this if they didn't think Bitcoin was going to go to zero. So it would uh, improve the value proposition. I think we're within a year or two, we're going to start seeing Bitcoin get adopted at the state level. I'm talking about central banks and sovereign wealth funds um, start playing with. But it don't you think at, they're waiting for regulation to occur? Not necessarily, because the that story is a geopolitical story and a de-dollarization story. And a hey, we just saw both Russia and Afghanistan get its dollar reserves basically be confiscated by the U.S. government. Um, that calls into question the reliability of the US dollar as a global reserve currency but there is no other option that's necessarily better and i'm by no means arguing that like everyone's going to just suddenly like switch all their dollar reserves to bitcoin but when people talk about bitcoin as a store of value the one thing they leave out is that it's a store of value that comes with its own censorship resistant payment system and that's never existed before right even neutral what, what do form- you mean by sen- censorship resistant Nobody can prevent anybody from having a Bitcoin wallet and sending coins to anybody else. And that's true enough for a bar of gold. It's just that it's literally impossible for me to send a bar of gold from here to Australia if I had reason to. Um, It would be very, very risky and expensive to do it. That's one of the reasons we don't use gold for things like cross-border Um, settlement. Nobody wants money that's harder to transport than the good or service that you're using it to pay for. So Bitcoin has these gold-like properties in that it's neutral. A government cannot just print a lot of it. Um, If you have Bitcoin, nobody can prevent you from spending it, just like if you had to borrow gold and you wanted to give it to somebody else, other than physical coercion, which is hard. Nobody can prevent you from spending it. So I think this idea that we now have credibly neutral money um, solves a major problem the world has, which is that it increasingly does not trust the United States to be the steward of neutral money. Partly because of the inflation that the Fed keeps creating and partly from the fact that we've um, continuously weaponized access to the dollar as a foreign policy tool. So The alternative to me eventually will be Bitcoin. But again, I'm not saying everybody's going to put all their money in Bitcoin. There are many reasons why I don't think Bitcoin will ever get that level of adoption. But I think Bitcoin makes a lot of sense as a sort of like a uh, break glass in case of emergency money. That governments, corporations, even individuals, you'll keep like 2-5% of your savings in Bitcoin. Because you never know when you're in a pinch and whatever other money you are using is no longer available to you. Bitcoin will always be available because the network is decentralized.
0: Yeah, and then I guess, well, and then look at Ethereum. So whereas Bitcoin is the flight to safety, perhaps for countries and sovereign wealth funds, uh, as opposed to the dollar, uh, Ethereum is is kind of like the programming language to make it all happen. And Ethereum is deflationary right now. There's less Ethereum right now than there was last week. And there will be less Ethereum a week from now than there is right now, probably. So eventually, if supply is going down, whenever demand kicks in again, and demand comes not just from speculators, but from people building things who are using Ethereum, which is different than stocks, which is just about investing, Ethereum price could go... could, could go. That's why I think Ethereum is much higher off of its lows than Bitcoin right now.
2: Uh, In the short term, um, the prices are driven by all the mechanisms you mentioned. um, But then Ethereum is down more than Bitcoin in the last few weeks. But it went up more over the summer because of the excitement over the merge. But in the long term, I would not be surprised if Ethereum ends up becoming, in aggregate, far more valuable than Bitcoin, just because in markets in general, productive assets tend to have significantly higher value ascribed to them than non-productive assets. So you know, like it's like all the dollars in the world are worth—it's it? like twenty-two trillion or something. All the gold is worth uh, twelve trillion, but then all the equities are like $150 hundred fifty trillion, uh, and I think all the real estate is even more valuable than that. And Ethereum is unique from Bitcoin in that not only could it be something that you use as a store of value and its own kind of neutral money, but it also becomes um, what it is—what you pay to access credibly neutral settlement of anything. So any kind of transaction or activity where you have two parties who may not otherwise trust each other, um, but want to have a transaction where they can both be assured that the outcome is what they expect it to be, you can build on Ethereum. And you could put, well, you already have, you have dollars on Ethereum and you have other kinds of cryptocurrencies on Ethereum and, art, and This is why these, a lot of DeFi
0: exchanges are built on top of
2: Ethereum. Yeah. And the, the irony here is that while uh, crypto, particularly among the spe- skeptics, has this reputation as being something that's risky from a purely finance 101 point of view, an infrastructure like Ethereum will de risk the rest of the global economy significantly because all financial infrastructure ultimately exists so I can you and I can trade something right or or there's there's transaction there's payment there is loans but there are actually very little guarantees that anything will happen you know what we end up doing is saying like well we want to make sure that let's say we're doing a foreign exchange transaction right i'm going to send you dollars you're going to send me euros The dollars move here in this US-centric infrastructure. The euros are in this other infrastructure. And in between are banks and payment providers that facilitate the trade. Um, The way we make sure stuff happens as we expect it now is like we regulate the hell out of the banks and payment providers, which has a lot of downsides. One is that it gives them competitive moats. It enables them to charge fees. A lot of people don't get to access the banks and payment providers. When we move into a world where we put digital dollars or a dollar stable coin and digital euros and a euro stable coin on Ethereum, which is already happening. Now you can just use this cheap, transparent, universal infrastructure called DeFi. And you can, you and I could now trade dollars for euros in a way where, first of all, we have more predictable outcomes than we do if we go through a bank. Second of all, it's more universally accessible. Anybody can use Ethereum, not many people around the world for various reasons can't use a bank. And then third of all, it's cheaper. So cheaper and safer for a fundamental transaction that happens today, which is foreign exchange. But we can also do the same thing for people that are buying goods and services or people that are trading trading stocks and bonds. So this idea of an omni-asset platform that is providing us with assurances. I mean, it's what we call trustless, meaning we don't have to trust each other. We can just trust the outcome. That's the kind of thing that's going to just de-risk all sorts of financial and non-financial activity.
0: I have to say Airbnb has changed my life I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I, the home that I left to come to this Airbnb I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an, it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway business summit. And I was so excited because side by side with the business summit was the Norway chess summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, at I, first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when... You know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see, you'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting thing. Jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The, The whole point in this FTX thing is ironic in that this is almost... Uh, a good anecdotal example of why we need crypto is because (laughs) FTX was not really about crypto. It was just a corrupt offline exchange of assets. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried even said he doesn't care if it's crypto or orange juice, like he would trade it through FTX. But of course, it's being associated correctly. So it's being associated with crypto, but it's, it's, it's kind of against the point of crypto. And that's you know, that's why the DeFi exchanges haven't blown up in fraud because you can't have a fraud on them. But, uh, uh, you know, I shouldn't say can't ever, but presumably, again, just like people know the code inside and out of Bitcoin, the, the top developers, a lot of people are familiar with the open source code of Uniswap and PancakeSwap, and they would see if there was potential for fraud in, in the algorithm because it's all publicly available. But so the, the, the final thing people are talking about is what's the contagion? I hear this from everybody. there's contagion, there's contagion. This, is, this FTX is going to bring down governments. Its going to bring down, I've heard of, I, it's going to bring down the Ukraine. Like, what,
2: what's the contagion issue here? There is minimal contagion within crypto. There is contagion within this tiny industry, comparatively, that is crypto, and we're already seeing it that there have been some other lenders and stuff who've lost assets. The impact on the rest of the economy is virtually zero. And I have found it hilarious, just like in the past week or 10 days since this broke, this obsession from everyone from like pundits on CNBC to government officials who try to make the argument that this could be a systemic effect for the rest of the financial system, just to put some numbers on it. All of the crypto in the world combined right now is worth about $800 All of the world's stock markets are worth 140 trillion. And then the bond markets, I'm guessing, are even bigger. So this idea that a financial asset that represents less than 1% of global value, um, because it's fallen 20, 30% in the last month, could lead to cascading failures among financial institutions, the vast majority of which, mind you, have nothing to do with crypto, right? Like the world's biggest banks, pension funds, hedge funds the vast majority have zero exposure to crypto right now
0: i agree and not only that the vast majority of crypto has little exposure to FTX. fdx represented one or two percent of the crypto there's no one crypto exchange that is more than one or two percent of crypto uh you know the, the, even the biggest DeFi exchanges are, are like one tenth of one percent of of crypto what about contagion in terms of other things like you know you mentioned sequoia and softbank Will venture capitalists be less reluctant to invest in crypto-related projects? Will institutions be less reluctant to invest? Will, could the
2: contagion spread that way? It could, but I actually think it, it's probably a good thing that venture capital is um, having this uh, gut check moment because I've seen a lot of things in crypto in the past year with VC that just didn't make sense to me, both in terms of absurd valuations and in terms of people forgetting what this technology enables in the first place. So when I say something like Ethereum is credibly neutral, or when we say these protocols are censorship resistant, one of the benefits of that is anybody can innovate and build on top of that. them. That's a benefit because a lot of the existing moats that exist in traditional finance do not exist in crypto. So a simple yeah, like example... I can't, you and I can't go out and start a bank tomorrow yeah. or an insurance company. Right. But if we wanted to, we could write code that represents smart contracts that'll be a DeFi protocol. But even for things that are not purely decentralized, like everyone's probably heard of OpenSea, it's the number one NFT trading platform, and at one point uh, last year was making a lot of money off of fees. So the VCs went and funded like hundred fifty different OpenSea competitors. You know, like there was the Tom Brady-backed one, and there was one for games, and one for. The, and I was just sitting there the whole time and being like. The blockchain offers no moats. So, what, what value prop does the 150th NFT platform have that? Well, well, br- there's
0: always a brand moat if they can build a brand. So, if they can build a brand that's bigger than OpenSea, for instance, that's a
2: moat. Okay. So, maybe one of the 150 does it. But the, the beauty of, right. of the crypto is that the assets are free to move. So, and this has already happened. I have friends that they used to trade their NFTs on OpenSea. Um, And then other ones popped up. So then with one click, you can, oh, I'm going to list my asset on OpenSea. No, I'll list it on the other one. You can even, like, there are ways to list them on multiple ones, and whichever one gets you the best price, you take it there. And I'm just using this as an example that I think VCs got a little bit carried away. Um, The whole metaverse thing and virtual worlds and all of that, um, I think that's way too early. Blockchain gaming is a very interesting category, except like the hardest thing to do in the world is to make a fun game. I This this has been my problem with the metaverse. Like, I'm not,
0: like, who wants to play in the sandbox or Decentraland? Like, just the name Decentraland makes me think of 1994 internet. Like, why don't you join our cyber-e-game? Like, and and games, like you said, they've spent decades building the infrastructure of, take two interactive games or electronic arts games i think microsoft is far smarter than facebook in terms of the metaverse because they just simply bought take two interactive mm. and when the time's right they'll take those games and they'll throw nft assets in it and crypto tokens in it and so on and then suddenly you have a metaverse
2: yeah i agree i think like the the v1 the i actually i had this debate with a friend of mine who's a veteran of the gaming industry and now has his own startup and i Three, four years ago, I was like, what do you think about blockchain for games? And he said, well, why would I want that? I said, well, people now purchase a lot of uh, virtual items in games, right? You have games like Fortnite that are actually entirely funded by people buying virtual items, but they have very little property rights, right? Like what if that company goes out of business or what if they get censored out of it for some reason? If you put those items as NFTs on a blockchain, then your users have more assurances that they will own those assets forever, which, by the way, in any market, property rights make people more willing to spend money on it. And he's like, okay, that sounds good, but is it going to be fun? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, the number one rule for video games is not will the you know in-game potion or hat give have property. Rights. The number one is it's got to be fun. You can give up people all the property rights in the world. If it's a fun game, no one will ever play, um, if it's not a fun game. But if it's a fun game, people don't care about most other things. So I think that's a great point and a great challenge. And it remains to be seen what it takes to build blockchain games that are fun. Um, But all these VCs that just threw like millions and millions of dollars of anyone who showed up that said, I'm going to build a game that's on the blockchain. uh, And I have no experience in gaming or blockchain. A little bit more skepticism and discipline from the VC industry I actually think will be a good thing.
0: I agree with that. I agree with that. I think um, I think it got a little out of control, just like in 1999, how VC money into internet companies got out of control. And hopefully it'll temper that and hopefully it'll be faster. The comeback, I don't think it's going to be three years for a comeback. But uh, I, I, my guess is after this, I mean, the other thing is FTX is kind of the biggest, one of the, you can't imagine a bigger scandal in crypto because there's not really anything bigger than FTX. In terms of crypto, I mean, there's Coinbase and Binance, right? But what other crypto projects even are bigger than how big FTX is? They're not. We're talking tens of billions. Uh, You know, most you know crypto projects are in the tens of millions, and not even most. I'd say the biggest crypto projects are really in the tens of millions. This happened to be exceptionally big. It is almost an outlier. It's so big.
2: Indeed, and I actually think. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I think soon enough there will be scandals that come from traditional markets that will make everybody forget about FTX. And and not that I wish scandals on anyone, but the amount of schadenfreude that those of us in the crypto industry have experienced from Wall Street people, government people, regulator people who are like, see, I told you that this whole crypto thing was bad and a scam and would never work. We already have very efficient markets for bonds and stocks. But James, you and I have been around a long time. We are now experiencing the end to one of the longest bull markets in history in bonds, right? It's like goes back 40 years. And yeah. the way it's ending with these rapid Fed hikes, you know there are scandals coming. You know that there are Ponzi schemes and people have who've done crazy things with T bills and bonds that no one can even imagine. But that might get scary, like if Pimco or something like that it becomes a Ponzi scheme. It would just be or Berkshire Hathaway is a Ponzi scheme all of a sudden. I'm not gonna name names because I don't know who, but your history of markets. Has there ever been a very, very long bull market that didn't end? without some shocking frauds or Ponzi's coming to light?
0: I, will t- I would say there's no market that ever began or ended with Ponzi schemes on both sides. I mean, and when we were doing the hedge fund, that was kind of the tail end of hedge funds 1.0. And now when I look back on it, almost every single hedge fund, knock on wood or thankfully except for ours, had aspects that remind me of FTX and Enron. So like, you know, an ability to mark assets wherever the heck you wanted, instead of actually, you know, marking them at a conservative value. Like we saw that in the pipe industry all the time. And we saw other things where people would take illiquid markets, you know, make one trade and then mark to market their assets, according to that one trade. And boom, they had high returns for investors. Then they raise money. They'd mark off the loss because now they're so much bigger and the loss is insignificant compared to what it was when it was a gain. And on and on and on. Like, we saw so many things that were Enron-like, i.e., you know, also FTX-like. It's just ridiculous now when I look back on it, like how scary that industry was. But now it's evolved. Now hedge funds are essentially banks. Like, you know, you have, you know, Jim Simon's Renaissance Technologies, no one would say that's a scam, even though it has the qualities of a lot of these scams. It, they're trading in ways that nobody understands and they refuse to explain the algorithm. <laughs> and, and that's just like Enron. Uh, it's not regulated. It's a hedge fund. So no one could go in and look at the books. It has high trust factor because Jim Simons is like a Nobel prize level mathematician, just like Bernie Madoff was like started the NASDAQ <laughs> and Ken Lay was friends with, you know, president Bush and, you know, the so
2: long-term has, capital guys had had Nobel prizes.
0: So. Had Nobel prize, right? Yeah, that's right. I forgot about them. Yeah, and so like Renaissance is almost all the aspects of an Enron, but I know it's not a scam because hedge funds now are. It's like an institutional industry now.
2: So I don't know who, I don't know where, I don't know when, other than probably like in the next six months. But I am confident that, and. FTX type thing will happen. In fact, I, what is it? It's it's uh, mid-November. I'd love to come back in six months and you can hold me to this and, and we'll right. see if I was right or not. It's just history repeats itself. Human nature does not change. Not only do we have this like multi-decade bull market in multiple markets that are coming to an end, but the other thing that's happened is like The few times where small things could have come to light, like in 2020, for example, central banks and governments just stepped in and bailed everybody out. Which means like, there might have been small frauds and small ponzies that two years ago might have been that big, but then trillions of dollars and euros and yen and money printing turns to bury a lot of sins. But now with everything happening with the macro environment, the energy crisis, the interest rates going up, Something bad's going to happen. And again, I don't wish this on anybody. I'm just a student of history. So there is that saying that, like, what is it? Those who live in glass houses should not throw stones. So I will say those who live in fragile traditional markets, most of which were architected 50 to 150 years ago, should not blame crypto because bad things are coming your way too. <laughs>
0: I mean, we know this too from the Great Recession, 2002, every bank is essentially a scam. And the only reason the Great Recession stopped, and this is really the topic for another podcast, is that for a while they changed the law so that banks have to accurately mark their assets at their real value. It used to be, you know, marked to imagination. Like banks had to give a best estimate and we had to trust the banks to value their own assets correctly, which is ludicrous. and the only way the great recession uh ended was because congress said oh my gosh we give up <laughs> like or not the congress cftc or you know whatever regulatory agency does they were probably like okay all right you guys win go back to the old way of just marking things however you want and from then on the stock, that day the stock market started moving up and never went down again hmm. so it's the
2: FASB 157 and then since then we've had I lose count, right? Like I remember even before COVID in um, 20, was it 2018? Like the Fed was raising interest rates and then they abruptly stopped and started cutting interest rates, even though like the stock market was at an all time high and the um, unemployment numbers were at an all time low. There was something about like market problems happening. But one of the nice things about crypto Despite, you know, people hear about the negative headlines and the crises and the chaos. But one of the nice things is we get the bad stuff out of the way quickly. We let the bad companies fail. We don't bail them out. We realize good point. Who, who the disingenuous people are. I mean, this is one of the reasons why it's so volatile. Um, because we just let everything play out in real time, and it's scary. Like, this is a scary moment in the industry. I have friends who've lost their jobs. I know other people who are worried about, are their coin safe wherever they happen to be and so on. But we are clearing out the deadwood, to use a natural example. But what's happened in traditional markets for decades is that every one of those small brush fires that would have cleared out the dead leaves and twigs and whatnot have been doused by a fire hose of central bank liquidity, which as anybody who knows about forest fires will tell you, all that does is set you up for the big one.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I hope there isn't a big one, and I hope things go back to, I hope, honestly, if I'm really being honest, I kind of hope the Federal Reserve just goes back to bailing everyone out all the time (laughs) because that's when the markets go up. Everyone makes a lot of money. Sure, some people are making money unfairly because they're getting the bailout and they're stealing it and whatever, but that's the Fed's fault, not my problem. And I like it when the stocks go up and markets go up best when the Fed is throwing money at the economy. And, and not just the Fed, Congress as well. But that also leads to inflation. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I'd, rather have, I'd rather have inflation than deflation. I'd rather see assets inflating because then the stock market inflates.
2: It's an interesting point.
0: I don't know. If the that, the that... only reason the stock market's going down now is not because of inflation, but because they're worried the Fed will tighten so much that there will be deflation. Hmm. Inflation's only bad, really, when either there's hyperinflation or your own or inflation is only affecting a small part of the economy and not wage inflation.
2: That's interesting. And I I actually wonder this about crypto because when I was writing the book, right, and I was studying the history of money and whatnot, um, there are all these people that have this, like this, this, uh, false sense of history when it comes to think like gold and hard money, which is by nature, fairly deflationary most of the time. Um, one of the reasons you don't want deflationary money uh, is that it just wreaks havoc with the rest of the economy like if your money is going to appreciate in value you don't want to spend it you don't want to do anything you don't even want to invest it right you're like my money's becoming right. more valuable every day why would i go start a company um right. and then you also when you have any kind of hard money or fixed supply money um what ends up happening is during a boom you have all this borrowing and lending and borrowing and lending that synthetically increases the money supply. And then during the bust, you have a bunch of lenders blow up and the money supply contracts. So money goes from being very inflationary to very deflationary. And by the way, this is what's happening in crypto now, right? We had all these crypto lenders, Bitcoin lenders that popped up in the last couple of years. Um, price of Bitcoin went on and up and up. It was inflationary for the rest of the crypto space, because the price of all the other coins were going up, the price of NFTs were going up. Now all the lenders blew up and the Bitcoin money supply is collapsing. So the value of everything else is coming down. So this interesting question, I don't have an answer to it, actually. Um, Even Ethereum, right? You mentioned that Ethereum now might be deflationary because of this burn mechanism they introduced. I'm not sure that's a good thing in the long run. Because I think like ETH is something you want people to spend, right? You want them to spend ETH on DeFi and transaction fees and NFTs. But if it's deflationary, people are going to want to hoard it.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, You know, we'll see. Then again, though, what's different about ETH is that you need to buy ETH if you want to use it to build a project. Like you need, there's other things than speculation involved. So, you know, just like, a home. I like it when the value of my home goes up because I'm not spending my home, I'm living in it. Uh, right. and, but it's nice to know that it, it's the worth of it is going up. And I I would argue going back through the history of money. When has so deflation, we know is bad. Deflation occurred in 1933, the beginning of the great depression. It occurred in 2009 during the great recession and it occurred in March, 2020 during the, the, when the pandemic started. Deflation's always been bad, and hyperinflation we know is bad. Germany, Rwanda, Russia, so on. But when has just inflation been bad? Now there will be months and years where it's bad. Where let's say oil's going up and something else is going up, but wages aren't yet going up. So there, when there's pockets of inflation that are that are much greater than other pockets of inflation in the economy, that that's bad. It has to smooth out. But when has inflation been in general bad over a long period of time? Like, like gold bugs, like people who are bullish on gold will say, oh, well, the U S dollar has lost 97% of its value since 1903. Yeah. And we also have now telephones on every house and airplanes and rocket ships and computers and the internet and, and, and painkillers for when you get your root canals that, that never used. to. like the highest cause of suicide in the 1800s was dental pain. Now, because of inflation, no more dental pain. So <laughs> in, inflation's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know any time in history when inflation's really caused the downfall of a society as opposed to hyperinflation
2: or deflation. That might very well be true because there's also a generational component to this. If money isn't at least a little bit inflationary, then it ultimately means that older generations are increasingly better off than younger generations because they already yeah, have- will them- create revolution. Yeah, because if older people have the money and it only goes up in value, then it's harder and harder for younger people to get any. So there, there are very interesting dynamics here um, to which I don't necessarily have the answer. I don't know if anybody's smart enough to have the answer, but I think we can all agree, like you said, that um, the extremes are bad. Yeah.
0: Well, Omed, once again, author of Rearchitecting Trust. Probably the smartest book on crypto I've ever read. The subtitle is The Curse of History and the Crypto Cure for Money, Markets, and Platforms. Omid Malekan, M-A-L-E-K-A-N. Let me say that again, M-A-L-E-K-A-N. You can follow you at Malekan OMS, M-A-L-E-K-A-N-O-M-S, you know, on Twitter. Uh, Everybody should do that. Thanks once again, Omen, for for coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure. People should go back and listen to all our episodes, our our Wall Street Insane episodes, because they were insane. And thanks again.
2: Thanks for having me,
0: James.
1: From a flat tire in the city